Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm talking to Richard Edge, who is a customer development controller at Mondelez. Richard's story of uncertainty is both professional and personal, as he shares his story of how he finally admitted to having a mental health issue some 18 months after struggling on in silence. He speaks candidly about the uncertainty of being open and honest about mental health, as well as the uncertainty of returning to work after a six-month period of absence. Richard's story is both harrowing and heartwarming. This is a must for everyone to listen to. Hi Richard, thanks for joining me today. Hi Jude. Um, I know I've heard your story and it's an incredible story so thank you for being here today to to share it with with me again and but also for the benefit of the listeners. Um, Would you like to start by sharing your story and tell us what it is? Yeah absolutely, yeah. So um, my name is Richard Edge, I've worked for Mondelez for best part of 17 years Um, so on a daily basis I get to work with some fabulous brands um but the kind of the title of your podcast is leading through uncertainty and my story is about my own personal journey through a period of uncertainty in my life where i'd gone through a period of suffering with depression and anxiety and the uncertainty for me was coming back into work having taken six months off which was most of the longest time i'd ever had off Mm. in the 17 years preceding that really um and opening up to everyone and admitting that maybe I wasn't the person that I'd portrayed myself to be. And I had a real fear that when I came back that my career would be over and that by admitting that I'd you know, had this period of depression, that people weren't going to perceive me as a leader and the manager they thought I was, and therefore ultimately I'd have to leave. Um, and I think that's real, isn't it, for people? I mean, it's it's quite common, I think, that people keep struggling on longer than perhaps they 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 need to and and longer than they certainly should mentally because there's this fear of if i if i take a week off or two weeks off then i'm you know i'm not a good leader is is the story that i think we all tell ourselves absolutely yeah and maybe we'll touch on it later on but there's even stages where I'll, the first thing i'll do in the morning would look be reach look at my phone look at my emails And that, you know, depending on what email I read, could take the mood that I was going to be in by the time I'd got downstairs and sat next to my children. Mm. Um, I was so determined to maintain um, my belief that I was on top of absolutely everything by sitting down sometimes at breakfast time with my laptop and I'd be working and my children would be sat next to me. And they'd ask me questions and I just wouldn't hear them speak to me. Mm. Um, And that's that's unfair on them but this determination that you or the pressure you put upon yourself to be perfect um is incredible mm. and that the truth is and it's and everything i say it's it's self-induced i put my that pressure on myself work never asked me to have my phone beside mm. my bed at 6 a.m yeah they didn't ask me to work that was the choice i made and i think mm. that's really important and what i've i've learned a lot about myself mm. as i've gone through this process but sometimes we can believe that it's our employers are responsible for sometimes with how we feel fact, there's a lot of personal ownership is that mm. we're in control a lot of the time mm. about what we do and when we do it and and I think we sometimes forget that don't absolutely. we I mean I you know I always yeah. say stress is a leadership issue and yeah. and well-being is a leadership issue because 
I think you know some of it is about how we're led and managed but but you're right we do have a personal responsibility to look at how am I leading my own life and yeah. how am I leading in work yeah and I think you know when you get on the aeroplane they go through the health and safety they always tell you to put your air mask on first before you help others yeah. and we need that approach in the way that we look after our lives because mm. I don't up until that point that certainly wasn't the case everything about work came before me everything at home came before me and I was maybe the last person that I looked after mm. and that's foolish because that's a very short road because as soon as you run out of steam everything else falls around you as well mm. um so yeah it's an, it's an important point to make is the ownership of our own well-being and that whilst work may be a contributing factor it will never be it certainly was in my case the only factor mm. um well, and I think the other thing is that in the in the twenty four seven digitally connected world that we now live in, it, it is down to us as individuals to look at how do I spend my time and how do I switch off. And I know that's so much easier said than done, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I see it even um, maybe more so with the younger generation, with all the kind of social media that's now available. Um, you know, Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, even at work now, we've got our own variances of those platforms mm. where we're trying to keep people connected, mm. which is the right thing to do because organisation as we become, certainly with Mondelez, we've got more remote workers, we've got managers which manage teams in different countries. So driving that connection is really important. But when technology replaces the fundamentals of human connection, mm. then we're in a very different place. Mm. And I think being able to separate perception from reality, because a lot of these platforms, generally people will share the good things in their life, which I think is the right thing to be doing. We should be proud of what we're doing. But if you drift into a mindset where you start comparing yourself to everyone, you can perceive that everyone is better than you. You can perceive they're happier than you. But all you're, see you're making that judgment purely and simply on what you're seeing on a social media platform. Mm. And you don't see the challenges that maybe they've got going in their personal lives. And in return, you put more pressure on yourself because you don't think you're as good as them. Mm. Um, so separating kind of reality from perception is very difficult as well. And it's a very important thing. I think as a culture, we need to adopt more. Yeah. And we, you know, we've talked a lot in the, in the past about body image and how, you know, our perceptions of body image are skewed by what we see. But also, as you say, you know, on social media that the positive stories that are shared also yeah. skew our view of what it is to be the perfect leader. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what I'd, I would like to do, if you'll bear with me, is just read a letter which will give some context to the story that we'll go on and talk about, I suppose. Mm. Um, so this is a letter I wrote to both my wife and my sister. And leading up to this, event it started like any normal day so I'd have got up around about five o'clock in the morning headed into the office so I'd go to the gym before work and leading up to that I'd started to do things like book meeting rooms all day and I'd blank it out in my diary so I could isolate myself and be by myself and this day was having a big customer meeting so their leadership team and some of their kind of staff were coming in and we we're going to present to them we we're going to spend the day with them and I remember going to the gym and I pulled up outside the office and I rang my wife and I said, I'm coming home. And she said, why are you coming home? I said, I, I, I can't go in. I can't face going in today. Um, I don't want to have to see people. I don't want to have to present. And up until this point, she didn't know that I was going through any kind of internal turmoil. 
And anyway, we had the conversation and eventually I convinced myself that I was going to go in to do this meeting. And I think it started at 9.30 and the first break was around about half 10 or 11. And I remember coming out and I just went into a meeting room and I shut the door and I took my notepad out and I started to write. And I wrote the following. Sometimes I wake up and my first thought is wanting to be alone. I can't explain why. I describe myself as happy and lucky. I have a wonderful family, a great job and a wonderful family home life. I struggle to accept the way I feel so I fight it and in turn become angry and frustrated. I'm starting to feel this way more often and sometimes look for ways to be by myself. At work I book meeting rooms so I can work by myself. I find reasons not to meet with friends. I often question what is the point of certain things and as such find it impossible to react, relax. I watch, um, watching TV as an example is just pointless. Some days I feel very emotional and simple things can drive me to tears. I've broken down and sobbed whilst I've been ironing and song came on the radio. On days like these I can also become withdrawn and angry. I'm now tearful as I write this down. I don't want to be sad. Why should I be sad? I have no reasons to be sad or flat. I have no reasons and this is why I'm finding it so hard to ask for help. I feel ashamed and I feel like I'm failing. I'm the man of the house, the figurehead, the strength for everyone else to grow. My last big breakdown was looking at family holiday photos. I don't know why, but I just had a sudden wave of sadness. But why, I just don't know. If my behaviour is becoming obvious to you, then I'm losing my battle to win. If I begin to lose, then I really worry about where I'm heading. I don't want to hurt anyone, and only want for the best. And for this reason, I need help. Don't mistake that I'm unhappy with my life. I'm not. I love you guys, and I need you. So I wrote that letter down on a bit of paper and I took a photo of it and I sent it to both my sister and to my wife and preceding the photo it said the genie's now out of the bottle there's no going back from this mm. and I sent that letter to them and that's the first time I think I'd been brave enough to ask for help but I think I'd got to the point if I didn't ask for help and I didn't admit that I was struggling I was going down a really dangerous path mm. at work you wouldn't have known so at work so nobody at work no. knew no. that you were struggling no. and your wife didn't know you were struggling i think in fairness i think my wife and my sister knew i was struggling so in preparation for today today i scrolled back through some of the messages that i'd exchanged between my sister and my wife at the point i sent this letter and it was for me it was quite a hard read because in the weeks leading up to when i sent this letter to my wife um she had sent me a message saying, where's my husband? Where's my best friend? Why don't you want to talk to me anymore? And for me, I mean, I, I read that yesterday and that's really tough because mm. she could see it. Mm. But I'm so determined and that, you know, that's one of my strengths, my determination and my silent determination to achieve things. Mm. It put me in a position where I wasn't prepared to ask for help because mm. by asking for help, I was kind of accepting that I was failed at what I was trying to achieve and I wasn't prepared to do that. So I had shut them out. They were trying to help me, but I wasn't prepared to ask for help. Mm. At work, you wouldn't have known. So other than maybe when I started to put meeting rooms to be by myself all day, but it would have still been the same Richard that's turned up for 17 years before that. Mm. Um, but that in itself is incredibly tiring. It's exhausting it's trying to pretend exhausting. to be yeah. something that you're not. And it's, yeah. it's exhausting trying to stuff down emotions that are yeah. real and raw. Absolutely. How, how is it? I mean, I, you know, when I hear that, and I'm sure, you know, people listening as well will be 
shocked and yet also not not shocked yeah. by hearing that. How is it for you? And I, you know, and I I want to weep because I don't you know I don't ever want to think that anybody goes through this level of stress alone. Um, how is it for you to read that now? In a perverse way, I suppose I enjoyed reading it because I can realise how far that I've come. Mm. And, you know, I've I've shared that letter now inside Mondelez quite a few times in different town halls. I've read that letter to over 500 people managers across Europe. And I read it not because I want their sympathy. I read it because I want to explain to them that someone can be going through incredible turmoil mm. and you may not know. Mm. Um, and that's really important, isn't yeah. it? Because I think, you know, going back to we have a personal responsibility for our own stress level, but I think we also have a responsibility as a leader Absolutely. to look at, you know, how how are we leading and, and are we actually aware of, you know, what's happening for people and where they're struggling? Yeah. So um, at the point where you shared this letter with your wife and sister, what happened then? Um because as you said, there was no turning back. No, no. You, you know, you took a it. big leap into a, an uncertain world, which is, I'm declaring I can't cope. Yeah. Which was new. Yeah, I suppose a week after I wrote that letter, I had the first, um, I went to the doctors for the first time and explained to them how I was feeling. Um, and I took the letter with me because I said to my wife, she came with me and I said, I need to make sure I've got this because there's danger I'll go in there and I'll start to pretend everything's okay, and I can't let that happen. So mm -hmm. I was even kind of challenging myself mm -hmm. to keep the honesty. Um, so then, and that's not easy, is it? No, it's very hard, because you're mm. basically, it's the most vulnerable I've ever felt. Mm. In you know, Leading through uncertainty, I suppose, in, we're talking about the work context, mm. but I'd gone, I'd now maybe shown my wife a different side to me than she had seen in the 10 years we've been married. So. Mm. I was worried mm. and I remember talking to my psychologist and my sister at the time about it saying that my worry is my wife's going to leave me because she now doesn't think I am the person <laughs> that she married mm. um, and you can and that's a danger when you're in that place mm. and you are in that depressed state you mm. run these scenarios in your head and none of them have rainbows and blue sky they're <laughs> all very much cloudy and rainy and dark mm. and horrible mm. um, so yeah I had had um, met with my doctor and I met with them several, met with her several times. And, you know, GPs get a bad rap. But the doctor I dealt with was absolutely incredible, incredibly supportive, gave me plenty of direction. Medication was one of the last things we looked at. Um, anyway, it transpired that I took time off work. She said, you need to take some time off work mm. to re-establish yourself, build your energy back up, get mm. some help, go and talk to someone. Mm. And... Originally, I was signed off for a month, and eventually, I was off for just under six. Mm. So I'd gone from being working from Mondelez, maybe having a couple of days off when I've been ill, to suddenly I'm out now for six months. Um, in my head, and how was that? Tough. Yeah. Tough. Because three months before, I'd been promoted into a new role to lead a, a team of what seventy odd people. So I'd stepped up to this new role. Three months later, I decided that I needed time off. Mm. And I was worried that people would do the math and think new job, sick leave equals he can't do his job. Mm. He's not capable. Mm -hmm. um, so for, I would say for four of the six months that I was away from work, I wasn't coming back. And, you know, if I look back now, I was scared. Mm. That was the reason I decided I wasn't coming back. I was scared to come back and 
to face the new reality and to face people and the potential they were going to judge me in a different way. Mm. But And do you think that's why you didn't call it out earlier that 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 just that fear of absolutely. being judged and yeah. yeah and seen as you know as can't cope and weak yeah. and all the stories absolutely. that you might make up. Yeah. And, and that's why I didn't. Yeah. It wasn't because it wasn't for any other reason. Mm. It's I was absolutely terrified that I would lose everything mm. by admitting that I needed help. Mm. And in all, in as I look back, it's the best thing I've ever done. It's changed my perception of what a leader is, what a good manager is, what a good husband is, what a good father is. Well, before um, we come on to that, what would what would your advice be to somebody who's struggling? That you know, as you were. Because because I'm guessing that that struggle didn't start, you know, a week before you wrote the letter. It, I'm guessing it went on for weeks, months, possibly I would even say 18, years. 18 months yeah. I was going through that and getting yeah. deeper and deeper in into it. Um, people use the word brave, be brave and ask for help. Yeah. I try and avoid the word brave because I think it reinforces that you're doing something that needs courage. And it does to a certain degree, but we shouldn't be afraid of asking for help. Mm. There is no, there's no weakness in asking for help. And, you know, I talk to my team now about if someone's asking for help, whether it's help for a project, whether it's help for the day job, whether it's help for their mental health, asking for help is actually a sign of saying, you've got some knowledge that I would like, therefore, can you help me become better? Mm. Framing asking it's a massive help strength, in that way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. changes the dynamic mm. of the question that people need to ask. Mm. So we need people to be seeing asking for help as a positive thing. So I would just encourage anyone if they've got any kind of internal turmoil going on, or they feel they need help, be brave enough to ask for it, mm. because you will be amazed at how genuine people are that you work with, and the the, the human spirit to help others mm. is alive and well. Mm. I, we started, you know, we talked earlier about potentially people could be becoming more dis- disconnected could have because of technology. The reason that I had strength to come back to work and to reestablish myself was because I had letters and emails from colleagues wishing me back to work saying, you know, let's know how you're getting on. We can't wait to have you back. Oh, how amazing is Which that? Which is brilliant. Because mm. I think without it, I wouldn't have come back. Mm. And that's why I've been so vocal about my story, because I made a promise to myself and to my wife and to those that stood by me that when I come back, I'll repay you by proving. And it goes back to me being a prover. I'll come back and I'll prove this doesn't define you because I want to make sure, one, my personal standing hasn't been affected. It will not define me. Mm but also give people that it's not going to define them if they decide to ask for help. So mm. I want to be a spearhead. And, the, and you know, you, you mentioned um, what I think is a really important point there, which is you said that you had letters and emails from colleagues and friends saying, we want you back. And, you know, to anybody in, in the workplace who has got a colleague who's off sick, whether it's for a week or a month or six months or a year, and actually whether it's a physical off sick or a, or a, or a mental health issue, um, I think there's a tendency to, I know my experience when I've had people, um, you know, in my team, not not as, a, as the leader of the team, as a leader of the team, I've always kept in touch with them. But when they've been my peers, I haven't reached out to them because I've thought I don't want to, 
I don't want to put any pressure on them. But what I'm hearing from you is actually there's a way that we can reach out yeah. that says I'm reaching out to you as a human being Absolutely. without any pressure to yeah. come back, without any pressure to be or to do anything. Yeah. I think that that's the key thing is to reach out with the right intention. Yeah. Reach out to find how they are, to keep in touch with them on that human level, to show that you care about them. And it needs to be genuine because mm. it just needs to be genuine care. Mm. Um, don't reach out with them out to them purely and simply to try and understand when they're coming back to work. No. Of course, there's, there's going to be a certain element of that, but you need the person back in a position where they're, they're thinking about coming back to work mm. because I, I wish I knew what the stat was, but I can't remember it now. But there's a tipping point that when someone's off work, it might be even four or six weeks, the likelihood of them returning to work, I think, if it's something to do with mental health, is really low. Mm. But p- because people start going through their heads, talking to themselves about that their careers are over. Mm. Reassurance through your manager or even the manager's manager or any of the leaders of the business, reaching out to them, just reassuring them, actually, you're really valued. Mm. Make sure you get better mm. and come back to work when you're ready well thank you for sharing that because I honestly don't think that I would have realized how important that was no. yeah um okay and um, and actually saying that um I do realize how important that was because I, I know that I had six months off work with a physical back injury I broke nine ribs and um and the thing that kept me wanting to go back to work was the contact that I had with colleagues so I had one colleague who came and visited me every week and it was the highlight of my week because I was housebound and it was the highlight of my week and it was because of him um Jack his name was that I went back to work because he kept he kept that route open and literally he'd just come and sit and eat his sandwiches on a Friday lunchtime with me and and that was it and then you know one or two other people that would occasionally ring or email so it's it's really important isn't it I think you forget that oh yeah Yeah. easily forgotten yeah yeah I'm I'm sorry I've taken you off track, but I've just you, you keep sharing so many amazing gems that I think are really important for for people to consider because I think you know if you haven't gone through a mental health issue, it's hard to know how how do you reach out to those people. Yeah, um, I think that's so. the, yeah, and that's the other element I suppose that I've tried to talk more about is my story. I suppose is it's specific to me. It has to be. Of course, it's what I've been through. Yeah, but. The things that have held me together, so the colleagues reaching out to me, have led me to talk in work more about um, the importance of connection on a human level Mm. with those that you work with. So I ask my managers, when you're having a one-to-one with your team member, please do not start with what the numbers are. Can you start with asking them how they are? Mm. Get to know them. Because mm. if we're going to have this culture where people are prepared to open up, then we need a culture that is open mm. and built on understanding. The easiest, the easiest, hardest conversations we normally have are with our friends and family. And we're prepared to have those awkward conversations with them because we've got respect for them. They've got respect for us. And you've got a relationship built on trust. Mm. If you want your colleagues and your managers to have similar conversations then they need to have them built on those elements. Mm. If they don't, then those conversations are hard. People will not ask for help. Mm. And it's not just about protecting people from stress, depression, anxiety. It's actually just their whole kind of commitment and buy-in to what we're trying to do as Mm. an organisation. If you believe in the people you work with and you believe in the direction the business is going and you have a personal purpose, 
and you can understand the role that you play in delivering the business strategy, then things become easier. Yeah. If you if you do not understand what you're supposed to do and you have no connection with what you're doing, you have no connection with the business you're working with, you will not be performing. Mm. Um, so it's it's not just about protecting people from mental health. It's a culture that's going to drive actually better performance if we've got higher levels of human connection with the people that yeah, we work with. Yeah, and I with. think, you know, we talk a lot about employee engagement and we think about that in a mechanical way of, you know, what are the things that we need to do to engage people. But, yeah. you know, what, what I'm hearing from you and, and you know, this is this is my passion as well, is is that it's the human connection that is the thing that engages people. And it's giving people a way of aligning their own personal values and commitments and 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 sense of purpose with the company's values and sense of purpose and yeah. and vision yeah and there's um, no there is no reason why the team could not have its own vision and purpose mm. that forms part of the greater goal mm-hmm. and if if we have more smaller groups that have their own vision and purpose yes they've got to tie into what we're trying to do as a company but it keeps them closer knit yeah and it gets them a chance to understand how they're performing against their own commitments in the business um and i think we've sometimes i think maybe it's working for like a big corporation that we feel that to reward people it's got to be money it's got to be something big and extravagant but it doesn't simple Mm. thank yous are Mm. actually an acknowledgement of Mm. the achievements we've made Mm. go go a long way as Mm. well and that's something that i've learned about myself is that my personality is i want to get things done I like them to be a certain standard and I will go I enjoy the challenge of getting somewhere far more than I do of actually getting there Mm. so the danger is I'll have a target in mind me and my team will get there and I'll say great we're on to the next thing which works for me but Mm -hmm. it doesn't work for some of the guys that I work with they Mm. want to acknowledge where they've come from Mm. and that that's the other bit is we need to allow people to be individuals Mm. I didn't I didn't feel I could be an individual I felt I needed to be this corporate person this perfect corporate person to be able to get on in my career and once again that was self-imposed mm. no one ever sat me down and said no. Richard you need to be like this <laughs> to be successful that was my perception mm. and I think so what's changed now for me or for you as a leader what's you know you said everything's changed for you as a as a father a husband as a leader yeah. what you know what I, I let people in mm-hmm because the other thing that I would, and what's the impact of that? They know me as a person. Mm. I suppose I've got no way back. As soon as I read my letter, I mean, I'm letting them into warts and all into mm. me. Um, but I, I'll be open if I leave on on a Wednesday evening. My son, who's seven, um, goes to football training, and I always want to be there to see him train. I go to his matches on a Saturday, so I'll, I will leave work at four o'clock on a Wednesday to make sure I get home for six to be able to take him to his football training. Mm. I would never have been vocal about that in the past. Mm. I would have, and to be honest, I most sure would have missed most of them in the past. Mm. But actually, my son isn't going to be seven forever. No. And I've got to have confidence in me and my team, and more in myself, actually, confidence in myself that I will manage my workload. I will still deliver, but my energy will come from spending time with my friends and family and doing mm. stuff that I find personally mm. rewarding. Mm. Therefore, leaving at four o'clock. Um, I had a very a conversation with one of my guys yesterday and he was saying um he's talking about his son's birthday and he needed to get home and he didn't know whether he could because he had some meetings in the diary um, I, my simple feedback was him i'll be very disappointed if you don't go to your son's birthday dear mm. 
you need to find a way around that. As an mm. organisation, mm. we will find a way around that. Mm. We need to we need to give people their time back, mm. and especially when we're twenty four seven connected. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's always another hour on another day yeah, that we can do whatever. Yeah, mm. and I think you know there is technology that's there to enable us to be more efficient, mm. but le- and to stay connected. Mm. So let's allow that technology to give us the freedom. Mm. Now I'm lucky, you know, at Mondelez we we allow our employees that choice. We do have that flexibility, a lot of trust. Um, and that's the other key thing is we've got to give people trust. Mm. Trust for me isn't earned. You get trust from the moment I meet you until you prove to me that I can't trust you. And I, you know, I love, I love that because that's, you know, that's my belief with trust. People often say to me, "Well, trust takes months to build." Um, but I, I'm, I'm absolutely yeah. with you on that. I genuinely believe you trust. You know, I can trust until proved otherwise, yeah. and that's so much more freeing. Yeah to to enter in relationships and and yeah. y- you know with people in that way and to work with people in that way yeah. it's inspiring for them they you get so much more freedom mm. that comes with it mm. and more commitment if you mm. try and manage someone to the nth degree there is no trust there mm. and no connection either and no connection you erode mm. that immediately as soon as mm. you're trying to micromanage things mm. um so yeah, I give you trust. You know, you've been through, in theory, an interview. We've decided you are the best person for the job. Therefore, I'll allow you to go and do your job. Mm. Um, and that's a learning for me as well. I most sure I wasn't like that before I went off mm. because I was so afraid of almost being found out that maybe he can't do his job, that I would potentially micromanage my team to make sure that they were looking good so I look good. Mm. And that being prepared... You know, you need to let people fail as well. Not fail spectacularly, but they need to learn. Because yeah. if you don't allow them to, then they'll never grow. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting because this this does come back to personal leadership, doesn't it? Because, um, you know, when you're, you know, in the past micromanaging, that's not effective. And that's not your company culture. No, absolutely it's not. No, no. <laughs> you know, I know that as a, as a company, you've got a, a culture which is all about trust and connection and looking after people. and. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're sat here in Bourneville that, that is proof of that. Um, so, you know, what's your advice to people who are in organisations that think it's that the organisation that's making them micromanage or making them work stupid hours or making them do stuff that actually they know is damaging for their health and their well-being? What's your advice to those people? I think... And it sounds quite hard, but they need to take a real long look at themselves in the mirror and really... Try and understand what's important to them. What are they trying to achieve? And ultimately, why are they having to work the way they work? There Mm. may be elements that they've got too much. There may be elements that... Are they working a long time because they don't know a more quick and efficient way? So therefore, do they need help? So put your hand up and say you need help. Mm. And then almost... I'm trying to think it's just the personal ownership it's so easy to say but really hard to do mm, mm. but a certain amount well that will come back to how good your line manager is or the leader of your division mm. or organization is mm. if you see someone that's working till eight nine o'clock and working every weekend mm. then you have a duty of care to go and find out why that's happening mm. and to really understand why it's happening mm. don't just go and simply say are you okay and they'll say yes, yes and you're like tick a box brilliant yeah. thanks very much i'll move on <laughs> really sit down and try and understand and actually mm. ask some questions about 
from from a position of being concerned, not concerned about their ability to do their job, but mm. concerned about them as a person yeah. and the hours they're doing, talk mm. to them that it's not sustainable. And as a business, we do not expect people to work all the hours that are available in the day. Mm. There will be certain times of the year where we will be very busy because yeah. it might be customer related or whatever. The, we know the rhythm of the business will be peaks and troughs. Yeah. And there are in any business, yeah. and I mean, I think there's an expectation to ride those. Yeah, it's absolutely. when you when you're on a peak, and then you stay trying to perform at that level forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what's you know, how have people responded to the to the real Richard, <laughs> the the one that's you know really caring about your team and your colleagues, and you know, have people responded to your your new style of of leadership? I would say. I'm amazed at how well it's gone. I, I really didn't know how, when I came back and I was going to be so open, it could have gone obviously one of two ways. And, and luckily, that's the uncertainty piece absolutely. again, isn't it? Yeah. Is, that, yeah. is that sense of, can I really be yeah. me? But I think the commitment I made to myself is that in a room of 100 people, if 99 of them wanted to judge me, but I managed to help one person, then personally that was okay for me. And when I came... That takes a lot of strength, doesn't it, of yeah. character? To... I'd, yeah, maybe okay it does, but that. I want to help others. I don't want to have to, I wouldn't want others to go through what I went through. Mm. And by speaking openly, and we're lucky there's, you know, we've got campaigns in place now where we've got support available to employees that feel like they need help. Mm. So there's a lot of support around available at Mondelez. Mm. Um, yeah, because I know you've you've launched a, a programme, haven't you, around um, well-being that yes. includes mental health. Yeah. And... Uh, has that helped you? Yes. In some ways, and in, and in what way? Um, I think one, being involved in the Boost campaign, because mm-hmm. I think from my story, I can, and the, you know, I'm incredibly passionate about making the change, smashing the stigma associated with it. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough that when I was, I was off, and I went on the process of coming back, the business were already pulling together the Boost campaign, which was a wellbeing campaign, which was rebranded but prior to that the wellbeing campaign was all about generally speaking being fit and active mm-hmm. we didn't have the holistic wellbeing the sorry the holistic kind of mental wellbeing aspect and that was evolving so I was looking mm. if I came back at that point so I was unable to get involved in that project um, and the booze campaign has been rolled out to the whole of the UK and it will cover things from it will talk about your diets so enabling people to make better decisions about what they eat trying to provide them healthier snacks or at least information about the nutritional values of the things that we've got in our canteen Mm -hmm. we'll talk about being active and being active is you know we're lucky enough to have a gym on site both in Bourneville and in the Uxbridge office and that's making that available but it's also enabling employees to feel like they can take their lunch break to go and take that five five minutes to go and take that gym session that mm. it doesn't have to be at six o'clock in the morning or at seven o'clock at night mm. that during the day you are entitled to break so if you want to go and take an hour to go to the gym do it mm. because we will reap the benefits and so will you mm. um and then the well-being is all about um driving awareness of mental health how people how you can spot the signs that someone maybe is beginning to suffer we've done a lot of um Hopefully by the end of this calendar year, 100% of our people managers will have been through mental health training, which has been run by an outside company for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll have um, next year we're rolling out resilience training 
And that's about, a lot of it goes back to what we've talked about, it's that personal ownership mm. of looking after, your, after yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, that starts and ends with you. Mm. You are in control of how you feel. Mm. And yeah, so I'm really proud. How's, how's it affected me? I don't, I don't think it would change maybe what I tried to do. It's given me a better platform. Mm-hmm. That is for sure. I've mm. benefited from that. Mm. Um, and it's something that a well-being program isn't just ticking the boxes. Well-being mm. cuts across everything we do, mm. and it goes right down to employee engagement, the relationship with your manager, how good your development plan is, how good your appraisals are. All of that now, because the kind of the mental health elements built built in, everything we do as an organisation will have some impacts on one of those well-being pillars. Yeah. So now everyone's involved, mm. and that's the really positive thing. Yeah, about and it. the thing is, you know, if you haven't got a, a fit and well, you know, both physically and mentally workforce, you know, that that's the, that's the key to to the business success and and to society as Absolutely. well, isn't it? Yeah. You, you know, it's so important. Yeah. And the, the good thing that and I talk about it is that it's genuine. This is we've set it up because we want people to perform at their best in work. Mm. Therefore, they are more productive mm. and we will reap the benefits. Mm. That said, we still need to make sure that individual is treated as an individual and that they're a whole. Yeah. So, you know, the tip of the iceberg we see is them at work. Mm-hmm. Their life outside of work is equally important because if they don't function in their life outside of work, then they're not going to function as well mm. in work. So therefore, our wellbeing program is holistic. We mm. There's an employee assistance line where that, you know, their friends, not friends, sorry, their families can also ring up and get yeah. advice and support. Yeah. We've got to care... Goes back to the roots of Cadbury, really, mm-hmm. of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. So, how do you manage your mental health now? How do you make sure that you don't go back there? Um, I would describe it, and I'm going to steal some words from that. I was had a conversation with someone earlier this week, and they were saying about managing your well-being or your mindfulness isn't a skill. So a skill is something like riding a bike where you can get on, you'll be unconsciously competent and you know you can do it. Mm. Managing your health is actually like um, maybe being a surgeon. It's a practice. Mm. You need to be constantly aware of it. Mm. So some days I'm very good at it. Some some weeks I'm not. And I will go up and down. Mm -hmm. But I think one bit about being honest with myself of how I'm feeling and honest with those around me make sure I dial up the things that make me happy. Mm-hmm. So spending time with my family once or twice a week, making sure I get home to have dinner with them, um, trying my hardest not to work weekends, having a personal connection with those around me, mm-hmm. um, you know, letting them into my life, talking about my family, talking about what I did at the weekend mm-hmm. um, and being prepared to ask for help. Okay. Um, final question for you, Richard. Yep. What would your wife's advice be to people in organisations who might be struggling? Um, I'm not suggesting that she's the fan of all knowledge, no, but uh, I'm, just trying to think I'm what, sure what, she's got some some thoughts on... Yeah, I think very simply just allow them or give them permission to ask for help. Mm. Don't, don't make them feel that they can't. Mm. It's... And it's in a sentence, it's so simple, but mm. it is so hard. And by me talking about it, it's not going to cure everything. Some people still sit there and think my career will be over. Mm. Maybe, you know, it will take time. It will well, take time. And you're, and you're proof that, that that's not necessarily so. Mm. Um, and, 
you know, you, you've you've gone through a really difficult period. You've come back on top. You've embraced that uncertainty. You felt all the emotional fallout that we get with uncertainty of that angst of is my career over and your proof that that it isn't and that you can come back on top um but i also love what you say around um you know it's it's a practice this is this isn't something that is now tick tick i've got all of that fixed this is this is continual which of course leadership is as well the more you know the more aware we are of what's the impact that we're having on ourselves and on each other And I've got a note in a notebook when I was writing a diary before I came back, and it simply says that when I return to work, I will not be defined simply by my salary or my title. I'll be defined by the legacy that I can leave and the people that I can help. And that is, I use that a lot to keep me grounded in what I'm trying to achieve. Mm. Um, Well, thank you, Richard. I think that's the most incredible legacy. Thank you for sharing your story. I know that it's going to be relevant to so many people out there. And it's really important that that we hear it, we reflect on it, and that we all keep paying attention to it. So thank yeah, you. No, thank you. Well, I'm blown away by the strength of Richard's willingness to be vulnerable in service of sharing his story in the hope that it helps just one person who might be struggling. And that's the legacy that he is creating. But more than that, there are real lessons for all of us to consider about how we lead ourselves and others. I urge you to consider, where might you be struggling? Where might you ask for help? Where might you just admit that you need a break? And who in your team is struggling and needs help? And how do you know? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm -hmm.